0: would you pray with me our heavenly father we thank you for this opportunity to come and look at your word which reveals to us a good and glorious god who will make all things new and come and dwell with his people we pray that as we look at and hear from your word that you would stir up in our minds and hearts um, a vision of you of your worth and glory Uh, of the joy and contentment that is found at your right hand and that in in this vision that we would be strengthened to walk as faithful disciples of Jesus and we ask for all this in his name amen please be seated what is the greatest danger the greatest problem facing the world today in ages past we we would have had a quick easy answer for that probably something like nuclear war or uh, that may be too relevant. uh, Communism, um, terrorism. Some people today would say the left. Others would say the right. Some would say Christian nationalism. Others would say CRT. We have many ideas about what the biggest danger or problem facing our world today, but Peter Sandlin, who is a professor of theology and Anglican priest, he says this. The greatest and most pressing problem facing the world is that people think God is less glorious, loving, magnificent, and impressive than he is. And then he quotes, uh, he says, J.B. Phillips, who wrote a book in the, in the 60s, summed it up perfectly in the title of his book, Your God is Too Small. I think Peter Sandlin's onto something there because if you think about it, if, if God is small, then it's really easy to make yourself big and become puffed up with pride. If you think God is indulgent and not holy, then you begin to celebrate your immorality. If you think God uh, is not so good that he is full of pleasures forever at his right hand, then you are sucked into looking for joy and contentment and rest and fulfillment in things that are stuck in this world. You go on, like we all do, making idols of people and things and experiences and yourself. And it leads some people in the church even, because they, their view of God is constricted, they stop believing that even in the midst of their sorrow, even in the midst of their suffering, even in the midst of their hardship, that God is actually good enough to give them joy, contentment, healing in his presence. So what you believe about God, what you believe about God, impacts how you respond to God. It affects how you live before God. And this vision then is so helpful for us because it paints a beautiful, glorious, majestic picture of who God is. I believe that Revelation 21 and 22 teaches us that God is so glorious and so good That the promise of being in his presence can strengthen us to stay faithful to Jesus no matter what we face in this life. God is so good and so glorious that the promise of being in his presence can strengthen us no matter what we face to stay faithful to Jesus. So let's look at this together. God shows his goodness and glory by restoring the creation. In those first uh, verses, we read about a new heaven and a new earth. So this is coming after Revelation 19, we read last week, is the fall of Babylon and the wedding supper of the land. In other words, Jesus has returned and begun to judge the earth. And then we kind of skipped over, because I don't know if you've noticed, we skipped over the controversial passages in Revelation. We stayed right down the middle, okay? So but we, what we skipped over was the return of Jesus, ju- uh, raising everyone from the dead, so the saints being raised to new life, uh, imperishable bodies like the body that Jesus has in his resurrection, and the wicked being raised, and everyone being judged. And then uh, after the, the last judgment, the great white throne, comes the new heavens and the new earth. And this new heavens and the new earth is in some sense a destruction of the old, but there is also a continuity with the old. After all, it is called a new heavens and a new earth, as if that means something to us, that we would uh, recognize it. Just as Jesus, there were certain things after Jesus was raised that his disciples could sometimes recognize him and sometimes were not able to recognize him. There, was, there is a combination of continuity and newness. This last week uh, for my ordination, we had an appointment in Tallahassee and while Kelly was in her part of the appointment, I took the kids, because I went to Florida State my freshman year, I took the kids over to the west side of campus and wanted to just kind of show them, you know, where I lived 20 years ago, which I can't believe. Uh, and, I, and I took them over there, and there was a lot that I recognized. I mean, the doke is still there, right? You know, it's not going anywhere. And the track, I remember, it was there. And generally, the layout was the same, but there was also so much new stuff, That was there that i didn't recognize and i was like i don't know what that is i don't know what that is i don't know what that is and then i I was like i'm going to show them where my dorm was my dorm was torn down in 2017 it doesn't exist anymore and there's something like that maybe you've gone maybe you've been away from your hometown for a long time and you go back and there's certain things you recognize and certain things that are brand new i think that's an analogy for what this new heavens and new earth is going to be like there will be continuity but all the broken down, old, corrupted, everything that, is, that detracts from God's glory and his goodness and everything that, uh, all of the danger and everything that leads us in falling into sin, all of that will be stripped away and it will be a new heavens and a new earth. See, this old heaven and old earth, the, the creation we live in right now is corrupted. God made it very good, but because of our sin, because of our first parents and because of we ourselves fall into sin, the world is corrupted sin and death entered into the world and so uh, paul says in romans chapter 8 that this even the world the creation itself is groaning for the revelation of the sons of god to be set free from this curse of sin that we introduced into the world and that we perpetuate in the world by our sin god is going to bring a new creation that is purified that is restored that's refined in verse 1, we read that there will, the sea was no more. Don't freak out if you like water sports and boating and all that kind of stuff. It's a symbol, right? This is symbolic language. What is the sea symbolic of? Well, in Revelation, the sea in chapter 13, verse 1, is where the beast came from. and The beast is the one who oppresses God's people and leads people astray to worship the dragon and, him, and himself. The sea is the place where those um, traitors of Babylon, the ones who spread greed and immorality all throughout the earth, they did it on the sea. And so this is a symbolic way of saying that, that whole scheme of, of sin and corruption will, will no longer, it, there's no longer anything to fear. It's not going to be spread throughout the whole earth. We skipped over this verse, but in verse 8 it says that... Um, the immoral, the wicked are thrown into the lake of fire. And we already know, if we were reading along, that in um, chapter 19, verse 20, the beast and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire. In chapter 20, verse 10, the devil is thrown into the lake of fire. In chapter 20, verse 14 and 15, death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. All God's enemies, all the enemies of God's people have been defeated. There's no longer anything to fear. We will dwell in security, And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And verse four it says, "And death shall be no more; no more weeping, no more crying, no more mourning, for death shall be no more." We're gonna have resurrected bodies that don't feel older every day, right? That there will be no more sickness, no more tears. You know, I have seven kids, and and my four-year-old son—he's he has big brothers, right? So he's always getting in fights and feeling picked on and last just last night i was laying in bed and and you know he came in and he was telling me something happened he had one little tear on his cheek one little tear so sweet and i wiped it away and then i thought about god wiping away our tears maybe not the tears that are on the outside maybe all the tears that are on the inside from all your hurts and hang-ups and baggage and everything that's been done to you and all the ways that you failed and all the dreams that didn't come true god is going to wipe All of those tears away the gates will never be shut by the day versus verse 25 and there will be no night there now maybe you like nighttime don't freak out it's a symbol it's a symbol think about the night in the ancient world think about what it would be like to live before artificial life uh, light and before um, police forces and before deadbolts and security systems right The night would be a time of terror. It would be a a time of uncertainty. You know, you could go to bed and never wake up again. That might be a very real possibility in the ancient world. But in this new heavens and new earth, there will be no night. Even the gates, right? There's gates on the walls of the city, but they're never shut, which is kind of a silly thing, because the whole point of gates is to keep people out. But if they're never shut, it means there's nobody you have to keep out. God's people will dwell in safety. There's a stretch, when we lived in Pace Island, there's a stretch on the main uh, street in Pace Island, where at night it actually does get very dark. It's very hard to actually find darkness in our world, because there is so much light pollution and artificial light. But there are certain places, and maybe you've experienced this, where it's unnerving. Kind of like silence, but it's the visual version of silence. It's unnerving to be in the dark, where, where you literally can't see your hand in front of your face. You feel insecure, right? You feel in some way unsafe. I guess maybe I just told you I'm afraid of the dark, but there won't be any night there for God's light will be the sun. The church, uh, those who love Jesus and follow after him will have been purified. Uh, John goes on to describe the new Jerusalem in verse two. He says, um, so interestingly, he says, I saw a new heavens and the new earth. And then he doesn't doesn't describe the new heavens and the new earth, he describes a city that he calls the heavenly or the new Jerusalem coming down. This is a symbol of the people of God, because in verse 2 it calls, it says that the city was adorned like a bride, and later in chapter 21, the angel is going to say to John, uh, let me show you the bride, and then what he shows him is the city, the heavenly Jerusalem. Just as earlier in Revelation, remember he heard about the Lion of Judah, and he saw the Lamb. He heard about the 144,000, and he saw the great multitude. So he hears about the bride, and he sees this great city. This is a city that is resplendent. The, The gates are made of pearls, and there are jewels everywhere, and the foundations are the apostles, and the names over the gates are all the tribes of Israel, and God himself dwells there, and nothing unclean will ever enter into it nothing detestable, nothing false. Sin will not corrupt us ever again when God makes all things new. You know, do you ever, I mean, have you ever had that experience where something that you've been struggling with in your life, and you feel like God finally gives you victory over it, and then what do you discover? There's a lot more junk in your heart, too, that you need to deal with, right? There's always more sin that comes back to us, comes into our minds, comes into our hearts, that we continue to struggle against, this day there will no longer be any sin. We can sum it up in verse 22, or chapter 22, verse 3. There will be no curse there. None of, the, none of the brokenness and corruption and sin and death and sorrow and suffering of this world will be there any longer. There will be no curse because Jesus Christ became the curse for us do you ever long to be there? You know, on something describing this. Do you think about, oh, what it'll be like to be in the new heavens and the new earth? You should. It's that good. You should want to be there. When we were in the hospital with Gabriel, um, so when we were in the hospital with Gabriel and he was getting diagnosed type 1 diabetic and we were being inundated with information and overwhelmed with the responsibility of taking care of him and helping him learn to take care of himself and manage all of that. At the same time, my mom was in the hospital, my mom that I'm her legal guardian, and she's been in a nursing home for 20 years uh, in a, in a bed for 20 years. She was in the hospital with a blood infection and my uncle was in the hospital with pneumonia past COVID. And we were sitting there getting told all these things that we had to do. And I just turned to my wife and I just said, I want to go home. I want to go home. I don't want to do this anymore. I want Jesus to come back. Do you want that? It's that good. It's that glorious. None of the stuff that, that makes us weep will be there. So let us long to be home with Him. What makes, what makes all this good stuff that we're talking about, I'm talking about no death, no sorrow, no suffering, um, a restored, renewed creation, uh, bodies that don't decay and corrupt, all of that good stuff that we're talking about, safety and security, all of that, that all comes from God. That's all there because God is there. We would put it this way, what makes heaven heavenly is that God is there, right? Look at, look at how it describes in verse, um, we talked about there being no night there, in verse 23 and 24, it said that God will be the light and the Lamb will be the lamp. There's no light there. There's no fear of violence or oppression or uncertainty there because God, who is true and just, is there. Uh, there is no death there, we read in verse 4. Why is there no death there? Because verse, uh, chapter 22, verses 1 and 2, from the throne of God and the Lamb flow the rivers of life. Out of God overflows life upon life upon life, everlasting life that eradicates death. What about um, the beauty of that new creation? The, the, the worth of it, that desire, you know that desire? Um, you know that desire where you just want to, sometimes you just want to have something just to have it, right? Like you don't need it, it serves no practical purpose, but you just want to have that thing. Why? Because it, it, it is worth something to you. It's valuable to, to you in some way. It's beautiful to you in some way. I think that's actually a, an instinct from God. Now we're putting it in the wrong place, but God, we, don't you want God? Don't you want to have God because he's so valuable? Uh, verse 23 of chapter 21, it talks about God's glory being there and that the whole earth will bring their glory to him because he's so beautiful. They're, they're like, God, take everything good I have. Take everything valuable I have, because you are so glorious. And what about his grace? It's, it, it's so good, because he's so gracious. In chapter 21, verse 6, we didn't read this, but it says, um, to all who are thirsty. You know, how do you get into this new heavens and new earth? You don't, you know, you don't bring your, you don't bring your resume. You don't bring your, your, your DNA. You don't bring your record of moral achievement. You don't bring anything except for your need. You bring your thirst and God says come on in what makes heaven heavenly is that God is there this God of light and life and glory and grace is there you know imagine imagine your uh your dream wedding now maybe some of you had your dream wedding but imagine you could have gone anywhere right it, your destination dream destination even if it's like on Mars right you the dream scenario and all the fancy and important people being able to, you know, your favorite musicians and artists and, and whoever want to be at your wedding. And, and all the food is amazing and rich. And, and your, you know, your favorite band is the wedding band. And it, it's just to the, to the nines. The whole thing is to the nines. Right? Imagine that. And then the bride doesn't show. Or the groom doesn't show. None of that means anything unless that bride shows up or unless that groom shows up, right? What makes heaven heavenly is that God is there. What makes heaven heavenly is that God is there. And this is God's desire from the very, very beginning. This God who is this good and this glorious, this majestic, this full of life, light, glory, and grace, from the very beginning, the whole reason he made the world was so that he could make you and he could come and be with you. God wants to dwell in the presence of his people. That's the whole, that was the whole point. The, the, the first creation was actually created like a temple. It was, it was created to be a place where God and man dwelled together with one another. The, do you remember in the Old Testament, what are the images that are carved on the doors and the pillars of, the, of Solomon's temple? They're, they're garden images, aren't they? Leaves and pomegranates, and palm trees, and flowers. And what's standing in the holy place? Not the holiest of holies, but the the holy place, a lampstand. And you know what they styled it to look like? A tree. The tree of life is there. God made the creation to be a temple so that he could be with his people, so that he could be with Adam and Eve and their children. And their job was to spread God's glory to the ends of the earth, to make the whole cosmos, the universe, everything that exists part of this beautiful temple of god but because of sin that whole project was derailed and instead of saying i'm done with that god persisted in calling his people and saving his people and sending his holy spirit and ultimately sending jesus to die for sins and to defeat death so that he could come and dwell with his people God made everything to be a temple, and now he makes the new heavens and the new earth into this temple. In Ezekiel chapter 40, uh, chapter 40 through chapter 48, Ezekiel sees a vision of a future restored temple. And out of that temple flows the river of life in four directions. And John says, there's not gonna be a temple here because God will be there. And from the very throne of God flows the river of life of life. God and the Lamb are the temple. And yet also the city is a temple, and the New Testament tells us that the church is a temple, and that even individual believers are a temple. And so what do we do with all these different apparently conflicting images? Doesn't it show us the intimacy? There's a way in which the the whole creation, new creation, can be spoken of as a temple. There's a way in which you can be spoken of as a temple. There's a way in which the church gathered can be spoken of as a temple. It's a way of pressing home to us. God's desire is to be with his people. He's coming close to us. So what makes heaven heavenly is that God is there. This was God's desire from the beginning. He wants to give himself to his people. That's the great happy ending of the Bible the happily ever after of the Bible is God will be there. God will be there. I mean, just think about these people. So Revelation chapter 21 and 22, this is the climactic vision of this book that we've been working through. And remember at the very beginning, we talked about that this book was written to people who were struggling, who were being persecuted, who were facing poverty and affliction and tribulation and all manner of hardship. And the thing that God thinks the Alpha and Omega, the thing that he thinks they most need to see is a picture of his glory and his goodness. That's what this is. What what God gives as an answer to their sorrows and to their struggles and to their struggle against uh, falling into the seduction of Babylon, what God gives them is not tips and tricks for life, but a vision of his goodness and glory. This vision, this promise... God will be there. God will be there. Four times in this chapter, uh, it emphasizes that. In chapter 21, verse 3, it says, God's dwelling will be with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and he will be their God, and he will be with them. In chapter 21, verse 22, there will be no temple there, for God and the Lamb are the temple. In chapter 22, verse 1, God and the Lamb have their throne there. They rule from this new heavens and new earth. And in chapter 22, verse 4, they will see his face. Think about that. Moses couldn't see his face. Elijah couldn't see his face. But you and I, through faith in Jesus, will get to see his face. God will be there. This God, good, glorious, majestic, full of life and light, God will be there, and we will be in his presence. So are you hurting this morning? Are you mourning? Are you... Are you staring down death god will be there are you anxious and full of fear because of things that have happened to you or things that you think might happen to you god will be there are you struggling to against sin or against that step of faith you're wondering is it worth the risk is it worth the cost god will be there is your faith wavering are you not sure you can do this anymore god will be there God will be there. This God of goodness. I'm getting fired up. This God, this God of goodness and grace, the promise of his presence, let it strengthen you. No matter what you're walking through right now, let it strengthen you to stay faithful to Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father. Just as we prayed at the beginning, we want a vision of you, of your goodness, of your glory, of your life, of your light. We want to see how loving and magnificent and impressive you are so that we are strengthened and galvanized and carried through so that we persevere in faith and so that we can enjoy your presence forever in the renewed heavens and earth. God, by our flesh, we are foolish and easily deceived. We look for rest and joy and contentment here in this world. We repent of that and ask for the goodness of Your grace to fill us, just as we prayed in our collect, to flood our hearts that we love You so much that the world pales in comparison. And we ask for this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please stand.